Would you open God's precious holy word to Numbers 31? We begin with the account of the defeat of Midian. Okay, we're, we're nearly into the Holy Land. The, the, the purpose of the account in Numbers was to count how many people there were and how many could go to war and so forth. Uh, and they're beginning to fight even before they've crossed uh, the Jordan River. And there are several things to consider when we see uh, about this account regarding Israel's defeat of Midian here. So let's get right into it. Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, take revenge for the sons of Israel against the Midianites Afterwards, you will be gathered to your people. So this is Moses' last hurrah, right? Now, you may recall in Numbers uh, 25, the Midianites joined with the Moabites following the advice of Baalim to entice the young men of Israel into uh, immorality, which actually was presented, and we've talked about this a lot, that immorality was part of their worship of Baal, something that Israel was totally unaccustomed to, obviously very sensually attractive uh, to the young men of Israel. And so if they couldn't stop them any other way, Baalim's, uh, Baleam, I'm sorry, Baleam's uh, advice was to just intermingle with them and that Yahweh wouldn't be able to put up with that. He would have to judge them and so forth. So that's the sin that's being talked about here What the Midianites, their part their part in the enticing of the Israelite men and uh, the, the problems that that created back in Numbers 25. Well, here he is, Yahweh, saying it's time for us to take revenge against the Midianites. Moses spoke to the people saying, arm from among you men for, uh, for the army that they can be against Midian and carry out the revenge of Yahweh against Midian, a thousand for each tribe. That'd be a 12,000 soldiers, a thousand for each tribe. All the tribes of Israel, you shall send into the army. From the thousands of Israel, 1,000 given over for each tribe, 12,000 armed for battle. A rather small force from, from the tens of thousands that Israel could, uh, actually hundreds of thousands, that they could have fielded as an army. Moses sent them the thousand from each tribe to the army, then along with the Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the priest to the army with the sacred utensils and the trumpets for sounding in his possession. Now, of course, the ark of the, you know, the priesthood and all that, they were fairly active uh, in an associate role in any skirmish or war or battle. 
They mounted an attack. This, of course, was always representative of how Yahweh was sending them into battle. That meant that the battle was assured, and this gave great confidence to the soldiers. So they mounted an attack against Midian as Yahweh had commanded Moses, and they killed every male. And they killed the Midianite kings upon their slain. Evi, Rechem, Zur, Hur, Rebah, the five kings of Midian, and Balaam, the son of Beor, they slew with a sword. Thank heaven they got rid of that guy. Balaam. The sons of Israel took the Midianite women and their small children captive, and they plundered all their beasts, livestock, and all their possessions. They set fire to all their residential cities and their castles. They took all the booty and all the plunder of man and beast. They brought the captives, the plunder, and the booty to Moses, to Eleazar the priest, to the entire community of Israel in the camp in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho. Now this is a holy war. And uh, we're going to see more, uh, more about what happens here in just a second. Uh, but uh, their orders were, were clear. Destroy Midian. Destroy them so that they won't be a nation anymore. There won't be any, there won't be any male, males, uh, and that means children and everything. There won't be anybody to carry on uh, the Midianite name. This was their, this was their, uh, their uh, command. So they came in and uh, it's sort of a precursor or a preface to what Joshua and the armies will do once they cross into Canaan. They will, they will have to be ruthless. And there are reasons, so I'll talk about it in just a minute, but let me go on here and let's look at how uh, the return of the warriors here in beginning in verse 13. Moses, Eliezer, the priest, all the princes of the community went out to meet them outside the camp. Moses became angry with the officers of the army, the, com the commanders of thousands and the commanders of hundreds who had returned from the campaign of war. Moses said to them, did you allow all the females to live? They were the same ones who were involved with the sons of Israel on Balaam's advice to betray, betray Yahweh over the incident of Peor, resulting in a plague among the congregation of Yahweh. Now kill every male child and every woman who can lie intimately with a man you shall kill. All the young girls who have no experience of intimate relations with a man you may keep alive for yourselves. Now this sounds ruthless. This, there, there are a lot of anemic uh, <laughs> Christians who just withdraw in horror over what's happening here. Of course, you should never question the sovereign wisdom of Yahweh. Never. Israel is an emergent nation. There is one purpose for the selection of Israel, for the election of Israel, for the separation of Israel, for the protection of Israel, for the divine guidance of Israel, for the presence of Yahweh with Israel, there is one purpose and one purpose only, namely to deliver into the world the promised seed. That's it. He will be the redeemer 
who will redeem the elect from among fallen mankind. We've talked about that before. This is the whole purpose of Israel. They cannot be mixed with the world. They cannot be allowed to be half Yahweh worshipers and half Baal worshipers or anything. They have to be a holy people. This is, their, this is why they have the law. This is why they have so many uh, restrictions and rules and, and very harsh penalties. They are God's select people in the world. All the other nations naturally are going to hate them, try to destroy them. That's the way of the world. And Yahweh will divinely be on their side and make sure that some wonderful day in a pitiful little manger, the Son of God will be born of woman. Coming from all of this that has happened in the Old Testament. They are about to be placed in, a, in the world geographically where nations have uh, just defaulted on their right to be a nation. Consider, consider the decline into grievous sinful behavior today of the nations. Just consider that. Think of the horrific, abominable, despicable things that people are allowed to do in our own culture. Now, think of how in our culture People who represent this subculture of sinful behavior are not only allowed but encouraged to go into our schools, to teach our children about how they live and so forth and so on. What happens to our children then? How can this be? This, this influence is supposed to, supposed to disarm the rest of us so that we don't just hate our kids and we try to meet them how we can never do that. You can't ever meet sin halfway. You can't do that. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Yahweh in his, in his sovereign knowledge, of course, knows this. If Midian is allowed to be Midian, Midian someday will destroy Israel. That's their job. That's the only reason they exist for a nation to destroy the people of God, the purpose of God to disarm those whom God has chosen and to cause them to lay aside the word of God, their fear of God, their belief in God and compromise with everything that is worldly and ungodly. Yahweh knows this, can't, can't have it. His people are in a mode of learning how serious it is to be the holy people of God in a horribly fallen world. You go back earlier when we were in Leviticus you may recall how God gave an account of all of the abominable sins practiced on a regular basis as part of the culture of Canaan. God is telling them you're going to face behaviors that you didn't know existed. And it, and it moves, of course, through nudity and incest and homosexuality and bestiality and all this. Other. It's horrible. 
All the, and he says, this is what they're doing. This is what Yahweh says through Moses to the people of Israel. This is what they're doing in Canaan. You can't do this. this these are an abomination to Yahweh. You're going to have to destroy them. They have given up their rights to be nations in the world. That happens. Did you know that? Yahweh is in control of that. There were, I think, from my studies, I, I was born after World War II. But I grew up studying it. We had to study these things when I was young. I've studied history in a secular sense. I, I love history. I love to study it. I, I've read The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. I've, I've read all kinds of books about the way Japan in the East and what they were doing in Nazi Germany in, in Europe and the Holocaust, the horror. Okay, here's the deal. Sin was raging out of control, moving to control the world. This would naturally be a threat. Now, the people of God, of course, the Old Testament elect. Now, I tell you, the, the reason they still have this divine protection is because back in Deuteronomy, to, some, to paraphrase, God says the people will all, always know there's a God because I've guaranteed to protect you as a people. So if you want to know if there's a real God, you just look at the existence of Israel. All the attempts through the ages other nations have made to destroy them. Especially think of the book of Esther, the divine intervention. Somebody was just at the right place at the right time in the court of the king. So therein is the existence of Israel and they will be saved someday. And then of course, here's the church with the gospel of Christ. And there, there, there were these rising powers ruthless to take over the hearts and minds and souls and bodies of men and economies and militaries of nations and make everybody a slave. If you're a Christian, you have to say, well, God intervened because our Bible tells us that God raises up kings and kingdoms. Whom he would, he raises up. Whom he would, he puts down. And God does it, in my view, when according to his divine sovereign purpose, nation or nations have risen to a point that they dare to defy God to his face and seek to control the souls of men and God will raise up a power to stop it. He does it. He's God. Now, case in point is here. The Canaanites, that, that was the, those were thriving civilizations, great city-states and nations. They're in the plushest, most productive part of the world that God had deeded to the descendants of Abraham way before any of, the, any of those people were ever there. God allowed them to be there so that they could prepare the land for the people who really owned it, namely Israel. They're on the precipice here at the end of the book of Numbers to cross over and start the real fight against the Canaanites all the way through the land because God through them will deliver 
the promised seed, the promised redeemer, the Christ of God who will redeem his own. This has to happen. Even though, even though the elect are, are, are the elect, yet still in the fall of Adam, being born into Adam's race, they're in the fall and therefore must be redeemed from the fall. And we must have a redeemer. And so the one to whom we were promised has taken us as the gift from the father will redeem us with his own blood. Now, that has to be delivered into the world. No trick of the Midianites or Balaam, no, no, uh, no trick of the world will stay the purpose of God. There's no way that it'll happen. So this seems awfully cruel to people who are anemic, but I got to tell you, for every slain male child in Midian, I thank God on my face. Because my name is in the book of life from before the foundation of the world. He was taking care of me. Against those who would destroy my hope for salvation. That's how I see it. That's how we have to see it. And we have to worship God for all that he does. And for every decision that he makes. So here's the deal. Okay. The little virgin girls. The, the, these young girls who have never had intimate relationships with man, you can keep them, let them live. But you have to go back to Exodus and Leviticus and understand that now these little girls are under the law of Moses. So whoever has taken, taken them into his household is responsible to make them really a part of Israel. That's who they are. So they can grow up and, and marry Israelite men and, and bear children. God says that's okay, but the rest of them, you're going to have to kill them. These women who have laid with men were the very ones who sought to destroy the culture of Israel, the religion of Israel, the worship of Israel. We can't let them live. And if you let a male child live... You're asking him to grow up and seek your destruction someday. That's what, that's what a sovereign God knows. He knows these things. So then, kill every male child, every woman who can lie intimately with a man. You shall kill them. You can let the young girls live who are virgins. You can keep them for yourselves alive. But we learn, as I said, back in Exodus and Leviticus, they'll have to become part of Israel. Now they'll become worshipers of Yahweh, the true and living God. So 12,000 Israelite soldiers will have destroyed Midian, their kings, their adult women, every male child. The Midianites are wiped out at this point. So now, the lesson of the importance of their separation as God's people really begins to sink in into the lives and hearts of this new generation. The older generation is just all but gone, all but dead. 
But this new generation is learning firsthand, really, what it means to be the people of God placed in the land of the people of God and to fight the battles as the people of God and to understand the contrast between, unholy, between unholiness and holiness, between righteousness and abomination. And because they have the law, which includes this, this series of, of, of sacrifices and, and so forth, these rituals, and separates them to Yahweh on a regular basis, because they have the law, nobody else does, they will continually be reminded that they belong to Yahweh. And so as Yahweh's people, this is their land. Early lesson, destroy Midian. So then these soldiers come back from, from the war. But they've touched dead bodies. Guy comes along, you know, the the pilgrim was attending his, back in the colonial days, was attending his church service and carried his musket with him to church. The atheist scoffed at him. The infidel laughed at him. Ha! You believe that God has, God is sovereign. He's predestined you to life. Oh, dear sir, you have it wrong. I don't carry this musket except to know when I come across an Indian whose divinely appointed time has come. <laughs> well, that's kind of way it is. That's kind of way it is here. These 12,000 came back, not a one of them died. But thrusting the spear or the sword, slashing with the sword, dead bodies fell on them. They touched dead bodies. The law said they had to be purified from that. They had to be ritualistically cleansed. So here we go. You encamp outside the camp for seven days. Whoever killed a person, touched a corpse, shall cleanse himself on the third and seventh day, both you and your captives. All garments, leather articles, any goat product, every wooden article shall undergo purification. Now, these rituals we've studied before earlier in the law. Eliezer, the priest, said to the soldiers returning from battle, this is the statute that Yahweh commanded Moses. Only the gold, the silver, the copper, the iron, the tin, and the lead, whatever is used in fire, you shall pass through fire, then it will be clean. It must, however, also be cleansed with sprinkling water, and whatever is not used in fire, you shall pass through water. You shall wash your garments on the seventh day and become ritually clean. Afterwards, you may enter the camp. So the soldiers have come back with all of this spoil, this booty from the, from the war. I mean, they're rich for what they've gathered from Midian. But I want you to notice how the spoil is divided among the people of God. Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, take account of the plunder of the captive people and animals. You, together with Eliezer the priest and the paternal leaders of the community. 
And you shall divide the plunder equally between warriors who went out to battle and the entire congregation. What a gracious God. Only 12,000 soldiers went out. But they all had an investment in this war. People left back were, were making preparations, perhaps, perhaps uh, building the weapons or, or whatever. They all had part of the war effort, and so they're all going to enjoy the plunder, not just the soldiers, but the whole congregation. You shall levy a tax for Yahweh from the soldiers who went out to battle, one soul out of every 500 from the people, from the cattle, from the donkeys, and from the sheep. You shall take from their half and give it to Eliezer the priest as a gift to Yahweh. Now you may remember when we were in First and then Second Samuel, David uh, wanted to build the temple, but he couldn't. And yet the tabernacle, the place, all of the stuff that belonged to the temple, there was all of this gold and, and stuff that Israel had won in wars. They brought it to the tabernacle, later placed it in the, in the temple. So this is part of, of what that was. From the half belonging to the children or the sons of Israel, you shall take one part out of 50 of the people of the cattle of the donkeys, of the sheep, and all the animals, and you shall give them to the Levites, the guardians of the house or the tabernacle of Yahweh. Moses and Eleazar the priest did as Yahweh had commanded Moses. The plunder, which was in addition to the spoils that the army had spoiled, consisted of 675,000 sheep, 72,000 cattle, 61,000 uh, donkeys, and as for the people of the women who had no experience of intimate relations with a man, all souls were 32,000. The half that was the portion of those who went out to battle, the number of sheep, 337,500. The tax to Yahweh from the sheep, 675. And 36,000 cattle, which the tax to Yahweh was 72. 30,500 donkeys, of which the tax to Yahweh was 61. Okay, so you see this is how it's all divided and how the Levites are taken care of, the house of Yahweh, the tabernacle is taken care of. 16,000 people of which the tax to Yahweh was 32 people. Moses gave the tax which was a gift to Yahweh to Eliezer the priest as Yahweh had commanded Moses. And from the half allotted to the sons of Israel which Moses had divided from the men who had gone into the army. The community's half consisted of 337,500 sheep, 36,000 cattle, 30,500 donkeys, 16,000 people. Moses took one part out of 50 from the half of the sons of Israel and the people and the animals and gave them to the Levites, the guardians of Yahweh's sanctuary, and as Yahweh had commanded Moses. So... Israel has been greatly enriched here in what for Israel was just a partial skirmish because they only used a portion of their army to totally annihilate Midian. And not a single Israelite soldier was lost. Therefore, 
they are humbled before Yahweh, which leads us to this final part here, the voluntary offering. The officers appointed over the armies thousands, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds approached Moses. They said to Moses, your servants counted the soldiers who were in our charge and not one man was missing from among us. We didn't lose a single soldier. We therefore wish to bring an offering for Yahweh. Any man who found a gold article, be it a, an anklet, bracelet, ring, earring, body ornament, to atone for our souls before Yahweh. You have to also think that they had to go back. They had originally left something undone. They didn't completely follow orders in that they left male children alive and all of the women alive. And they had to go back and, and take care of business here. And so they were at fault and they knew it. And they also knew that they had been divinely delivered from a great war, a great battle. The total of the gift of gold, which they dedicated to Yahweh, amounted to 16,750 shekels. This was from the commanders of the thousands and the commanders of the hundreds. The soldiers had seized spoils for themselves. Moses and Eleazar the priest took the gold from the commanders of the thousands and the hundreds and brought it to the tent of meeting as a remembrance for the sons of Israel before Yahweh. You can already see in the lives of this new generation of Israelites a pursuit of righteousness, an awareness of the presence of Yahweh and the obligation to be obedient and before Yahweh, humble before Yahweh and to always seek to be aligned with the good graces of Yahweh. This was a voluntary offering. They didn't have to do that. But considering how Yahweh had divinely delivered them, didn't lose a single soldier in the fight. They are moved to recognize that it was the presence and power of Yahweh that had delivered them from this war. And they are moved even to further worship Yahweh because of what he has done for them. Well, we'll stop there. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for how you look after your people. I thank you, Lord, for what you did back then for my sake and my soul today. We honor you and we glorify you in all things, past, present, and even the glory that is yet to come in the future. In Jesus' name, amen.